Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back, folks. Oh, yes. Oh, my slimy. We're back. Welcome back to the Fire Ski Sarkeesian Podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. It is currently 6.07 p.m. in Austin, Texas on Wednesday, October 6th, that time of recording. And OU sucks. Indeed they do. It is shootout time yet again. Sooners await the Longhorns in the Cotton Bowl this Saturday up in Dallas. First things first, though, we got to talk about that win over TCU in Fort Worth last week. First win for Texas since 2013 in Fort Worth. But I am your host, Josh, joined, as always, by my co-host and good friend Noah for this episode. And before we get too carried away, let's make sure we check out the hot take line for today's voicemail. What's up, guys? Um, Coming off a pretty bad hangover from that win, but... Just wanted to just wanted to call in, and this is probably a bullshit question that you guys get like all the time, um, especially now. But I wanted to ask: Do you think that a certain segment of Texas football fans would ever be satisfied with Casey Thompson at the quarterback position? And I am not going to go up and say that he had a good game yesterday. I'm not even going to say he had an average game because he was he was pretty bad in this game, but he plays um, off schedule that made up for, I mean, runs that 40 yard run he has was very timely. And that um, third down escapes the left. I think when I, I think it was Wiley totally just whipped on a block and, you know, he managed to get the first, Washington uh, obviously was very good, but I, I just, a better player than Hudson Card currently. Obviously, Hudson Card has great upside, but I haven't been all that impressed with him up to this point when I games. And just from what I hear about what he does in practice, I don't see it translating to the games. But basically, I was just saying, um, do you guys think that the quarterback position will ever be settled if these two guys are on campus? Um, and if you do, who do you think is going to win? Uh, oh, yeah, and fuck OU. Thank you for the call. Did not catch your name in there, which is unfortunate. But regardless, still appreciate the call. If you would like to hear your your voice on the podcast, go ahead and call in to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast hot take line, 512-677-4578. But, Noah, really the, the heart of the question there, I, I think in that, that whole voicemail, was whether or not – I guess the the barriers will ever come down. There's sort of two camps right now for Texas fans. You're either team Hudson Card or you're team Casey Thompson, or really more succinctly, you're normal or you're Ian Boyd. Right. Yeah, it's really two very (laughs) diverse worlds out there. Uh, No, but we joke. And I, you know, you kind of got into it a little bit with IT on Twitter uh, a while back. Um, So there are some people that may have uh, ulterior motives or some sort of business incentive, as you may, uh, to promote one quarterback over the other. Uh, but setting aside some of those outside motives, just as fans, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that there is a reason why people might not ever accept Casey. And I, I think, you know, maybe there's a general, maybe there's like a general portion of the fan base that just always sees the grass as greener somewhere else. And like, you know, there's still people that debate Sims and Apple white today, but I don't necessarily know that that's true. So, 
I mean, look look for example at Ohio State, right? They had Justin Fields and they balled out, and then Joe Burrow transferred from Ohio State to LSU, won the Heisman, went number one overall, and like had one of the best seasons ever by a college quarterback. But you don't see Ohio State fans missing on Joe Burrow, so I think that it has a lot more to do, like from the Texas fan base's point of view, as to how well the current starter is achieving. So if Casey goes out and has a great game on saturday and we beat ou and he starts hitting those deep balls nobody's going to complain about his play uh because we're winning and winning solves everything in a lot of ways so i I think that you know i i think if casey plays up to his potential there's not going to be a whole lot of whining out there but i guess maybe some people might always have a little bit of that going on yeah you mentioned apple white and sims uh i was gonna say i think the main reason why you don't hear a whole bunch of consternation hopefully that's the right word from Ohio State fans with regard to Joe Burrow is because ultimately they still had a good quarterback they didn't have subpar quarterback play and I think that's what a lot of Texas fans are probably worried about is going back to the swoops versus herd debate or the ash versus case McCoy debate where it's not that you've got one two really good options it's that you've got two that you're not super jazzed about I think people are just worried that if one guy leaves and then the other guy starts sucking, like we've seen some quarterbacks do in the past, we have a guy play really well. Obviously, Gerard Hurd had a couple big games, and then the wheels fell off. I think everyone, to a certain degree, it's just PTSD at the quarterback position over the last decade. Sam Ellinger sort of evened that out, but even towards the end of his tenure, people were getting a little anxious and, and wanting to see Casey Thompson or Hudson Card get some snaps by the end of last year. So... I think it just comes with the territory right now. It's just going to take several consecutive years of reliable quarterback play before people are going to really calm down on on sort of getting tribal about which quarterback they support. I think that's true. And, you know, Casey and Hudson may not be here a couple more years, uh, but there is something larger to be said about Sark as a QB developer. And, you know, if you look at a school like Ohio State that has Ryan Day, I think in general the fan base will trust the coach to develop their quarterback. Although... And, you know, this ties in a little bit with what we're going to be talking about later this episode. You also have schools like Oklahoma that have had stable quarterback situations. And Lincoln Riley has been seen as like the developer of quarterbacks, back-to-back Heismans. And they're still booing (laughs) their quarterback uh, and asking for the true freshman backup. So it's, you know, some people are just never going to be happy. And I think a lot of it has to do with team success. But in the meantime, I think that really we just got to root for the guy that's out there. Root for both of them, really. Let the best guy win. Um, I don't have anything against Hudson Card. I don't know. I still don't know if there's an answer about which guy is better um, or who's a better fit or whatever. That seems to be the discussion now. But yeah, whoever can win ball games, I'm happy with. Yeah, and you said root for whoever's out there. I, I think that's true play to play. I mean, I, I'm going to root for Casey Thompson when he's on the field. And when Hudson Card comes in in relief, I hope he throws for another 150 yards and three scores. I, I hope whoever's playing quarterback for us is a killer. That's really what it boils down to. I just want to see them play well. I don't get to watch practice. I don't get to sit there and, and pour over the, the snaps that you see um, from camp footage or stuff like that. I I can only see what I see on the field. And to this point, I've seen more reliability out of Casey Thompson. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people agree Hudson Card has the higher ceiling. Casey Thompson seems to be more ready right now. So there's a lot of different directions that's getting pulled. But ultimately, all that matters to me is that Texas finds ways to win games, whether that's Hudson Card under center or Casey Thompson under center. Yes, sir. And, you know, the good news is that no matter who's actually under center, uh, taking the snaps 
he'll have the same guy right there to hand the ball off to. Welcome to the Heisman stage, B. John Robinson. Yeah, and this week will be an even bigger opportunity. Like, there's a lot of disrespect, and it's not even disrespect that's going towards B. John Robinson. It's straight-up lack of recognition right now. Is He hasn't had a big-time stage to just go off and just rack up 200 yards and three scores. This weekend, that here's your stage. You want a stage, it doesn't get much bigger than the Red River shootout. But, I mean, damn, B. John Robinson carried that team Casey Thompson has a rough game to the point that TCU can just stack the box the accuracy is not there for Casey Thompson and even when it is our wide receivers are dropping the ball TCU can just load the box play after play after play and get late in the game you know that we want to run clock we're going to run the ball with Bijan Robinson and you know what Bijan said fuck you I'm still getting six and a half yards per carry even though you know exactly what's coming right and so I was actually at the game Great time, by the way, and I will. I'm just going to quickly mention. I heard some deliciously salty conversations that were had between TCU fans on the way out of that stadium. But you know, you're talking about Bijan being the best player on the field, and that was absolutely true. And I was in support of Sark uh, going for it on third and fourth down and running the ball both times, uh, because to me that is letting your best player have not just two chances to score there and win the football game. But you also know that you're going to be getting the ball back later uh, regardless and have the chance to ice it with a good sustained drive on the ground. So that's just choosing to give your best player as many opportunities as possible to win you the football game. So I was all for, honestly, even the play calls, just going heavy and running it at him. I think if Bijan was actually fresh for that fourth down play, he gets in. Like I think that a Bijan Robinson on his, 30, or on his 15th carry just runs over the linebacker and gets in. But... You know, he didn't have it on that rep, but then he came back a while later. And, you know, on that third and six, he was dragging guys. It's it's incredible because he showed definite signs of, it, like, being tired in that game. But he still just willed us to win on that last drive. Took a, took a ton, of, ton of punishment. I think that's one of the things that Bijan Robinson is really good at doing is he can take all of those carries and not take a ton of direct shots. He's good about turning anything that would be hard contact into a little bit more of a glancing blow, even if it does bring him down. So I think that helps him out a little bit. But yeah, when you're running in seven yard sprints every 30 seconds or so, you can get worn out pretty quick. Hard to blame him for for being exhausted. And, And speaking of salty TCU folks after the game, Gary Patterson, all timer for a man who cannot just like keep his mouth shut and whine about something. The SMU game, literally just making shit up about what happened post game um, with one of his coaches getting hurt. Now you have Gary Patterson crying about us handing the ball to Bijan Robinson 35 times and calling it irresponsible to a college athlete. I think really just encapsulates everything that is TCU over the last five to 10 years. It was, it's been a rough two weeks for uh, Gary Patterson and, it's yeah i i don't know what he's doing like even okay let's say you're actually upset about smu you know and you think it was staged and yada yada you've been spending a little bit too much time on 4chan or something gary but for whatever reason you actually believe that why are you bringing that up midweek before texas like why is that something that you're putting any sort of energy towards like why distract yourself distract your team to distract your coaching staff in that way when you have your biggest game of the season in six days, like, what are you doing? You should be in the film room game planning. So I don't, I don't get it because there's no strategic move, like reason for him to, 
do that or to talk about Bijan, which by the way, like I wouldn't want Bijan to average 35 carries a game, but if he gets that once or twice over the course of the season and, you know, he averages, like I think he's, I'm hoping that he'll end up averaging like less than 20. Like that's fine with me. That's not out of the blue. I mean, that's not out of the ordinary. So basically a defensive minded coach got really pissed off that we figured out what his defense was incapable of doing. And we weren't like Tom Herman and eventually moved away from it. We, you know, just kind of kept doing that. Prove you can stop it and you can't stop it. So why would we do anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really just goes to show, I think Gary Patterson's very aware of how far his sort of reputation has fallen as, as a football coach. It's, it's no longer the glory days for TCU of the late 2000s, the early 2010s. Uh, Trevon Boykin and those last few days in the Mountain West going to the Rose Bowl and whatnot. I think he he realizes these last five or six years, his entire reputation as a coach at TCU has been built on the back of consistently beating Texas. He failed to do that this year, and it, it could just be shit where he's he feels that seat getting warm. This is the one thing that has kept him safe. Where where does the line get drawn for Gary Patterson? And I think he knows that that. That, that train is coming at the end of the tunnel. Well, I think that his job has also been safe because he's just won a lot of football games. <laughs> like, you know, he's had a really good run at TCU aside from beating Texas. Sure, us sucking probably helped him win some of those football games. But And, and you're also right that when things, when things get bad for Big 12 schools, if you beat Texas, you can help yourself out a lot there. We just saw that with Cliff where he basically saved his job by beating us in 2017 i think it was uh yeah bought himself another year i don't i don't think gary's gotten to that point like i think he's starting to get there where you know i don't don't know that he'll be out after this season um but no no it's it's nothing like imminent yeah i think i think it really heats up on him next year uh so i think that like this year next year are the points where it's like okay i i need to beat texas for my job so and and also aside from texas like smu i think they've been kind of taken for granted as a much like we view TCU. I think they view SME the same way where except for them, it is actually a formal rivalry. There is a trophy, uh, but TCU dominated that for so long that it became just kind of an expected result. And now suddenly SMU is good and they're beating TCU much like how suddenly we started losing in TCU and couldn't stop. That gets really frustrating and that can negatively impact the view of a coach. You know, like Herman, if he goes seven and three last year, but he beats Oklahoma and TCU, he probably sticks around another year. I think it's just that he lost to those two schools that early in the season with the eyes debacle on top that really sealed his fate. It's a brutal world out there uh, for for coaches, but that's also why they make a ton of money. And sort of moving on from that, I I, I thought this game was very interesting because I think it it to a degree encapsulates a lot of what you said in the off season. You made your sort of season-long prediction that the offensive line would be considered one of the best in the nation because of Bijan Robinson making him look good. I think we can all agree that the O-line did not have a good game, and yet Bijan Robinson still went crazy yes, uh, this Saturday. Let me just take a little victory lap, except I'm sitting down, so just I'm doing it in my mind. Uh, but I, I thought that they were reasonably good in run blocking. And overall, I actually thought that the pass blocking was decent, except for... Christian Jones and 
their inability to communicate on the left side of the line, which I don't know how much that hurts Christian Jones or Denzel Okafor or Kerstetter. But, you know, I think that they've improved a lot with their run blocking. I think that they're actually like a pretty solid group in that regard now. They're not elite or anything, but they're good enough to let Bijan shine. And that was the entire premise I was talking about in the offseason is that Bijan's going to make them look better than they are. And I think they'll be good enough to let him shine rather than, uh, you know, like Saquon Barkley, his last couple years of college, Penn State had a really bad offensive line. So that was the entire discussion around Barkley was, oh, he's amazing, but his offensive line sucks. So if they can just be decent enough to have that not be the narrative, um, then I figured they'd be getting some sort of like postseason award recognition. Uh, And then the other reason I just did a couple of victory laps was my hot take. For the first time in several years, one of us had a hot take uh, actually come true. So, <laughs> I mean, I think this is the first time that we even got close. To yeah, it. maybe. I know. I remember back in 2018, we had some episodes that, uh, like, that might have been the year you had the no. The 2019 was the 50 year 50 yard play from scrimmage. So yeah, I, there were some where I think like on a technicality, you could argue one way or the other, but. Um, and I mean, to be clear, the point of a hot take is for it to be hot. Like it's not a hot take if you expect it to happen or if you think it, it there's a good chance of it happening, um, at least not for our purposes here. Uh, but you know, that final drive I'm watching and of course my, you know, I'm hoping that we win. That's the primary uh, goal there. But you know, I am looking at the score, like, huh, Zach Evans has 115 yards and Bijan has 198. Like, Hmm. Hmm. it's the game within a game is checking on those hot takes i won't i won't lie i've spent a significant chunk of my saturdays these past few years trying to remind myself what my own hot take was and keeping an eye on that score so it's it's pretty serious yeah, business I, it was, it's comparable to uh people that do sports betting right and you're watching the line at the end of the game and you're like okay i need them to i need them to run at the clock but they can't get a field goal or else they're gonna cover or they're you know whatever uh so yeah it was uh and it wasn't a bad bet so i i, I don't have the uh, don't have the sound effect for it from the uh, solid <laughs> verbal but i believe what you got there with that last drive was a backdoor cover just snuck it in right at the end wasn't wasn't fully clear but and actually i mean part of the reasoning was that i just figured Bijan would have a much larger number of carries than zach evans but i didn't expect it to be 20 carries <laughs> 20 carries more cuz that's a lot but whatever I'll take I'll take my dub however I can get it if you want to call it backdooring or whatever. Speaking of uh, Zach Evans, his lack of carries felt very, very Herman esque. Whether that was Doug Meacham or Gary Patterson, I assume more Meacham's decision since he runs the offense and Gary's the defense guy, really. But I think he ended the game with like twelve touches the entire game. That felt a lot very familiar for Texas fans. Admittedly, at least this time it benefited us instead of hurt us. But Tom Herman did that shit with Bijan at the end of last year, despite the fact that he was clearly the game breaker. I don't know. Patterson said that that uh, Zach Evans was tired, and I mean there were some shots where he looked tired, but it was like shit. Bijan looked tired, still handed in the ball. I don't know what the uh, game plan is if you're not going to involve your best player. You want to feature that guy, but I don't know. I, I'm you know I'm not in the TCU offensive staff, so I, I really have no idea what's going through their head. He blocked a lot, and he was—he's a really good blocker, uh, very physical, much more than I would have expected him to be. But maybe a couple of those blocks could have been carries instead. We're like Kermit over here sipping the tea, uh, <laughs> and whatever helps us win is good with me. All right, and then 
I guess flipping it over to the other side of the ball, uh, defense was technically on the field at points during that game. There were a lot of concerns, a lot of holes, and I think it's one of those things. It's it's early in the season, so so maybe TCU actually is kind of scary on offense this year. But a lot of the issues that we saw, maybe not so so much as the deep ball, but still a lot of holes in this defense, which were concerns coming out of the Texas Tech game, where it seemed like late in the game lost some focus and started giving up yards. It, it didn't seem like TCU struggled that much to move the ball. Like on the fourth, sorry, fourth quarter. I mean, sort of in general. That that fourth quarter drive, that's sort of that soft prevent thing. It doesn't bother me a ton. Not that you ever want to give up a 99-yard touchdown drive, but the real goal of the defense there is to force TCU to eat clock. They needed to score twice in nine minutes, and we made them use up more than half of the uh, game clock to get down the field there. So that, that one less so but it it felt at times like tcu had plenty of space to work with and was doing a lot of things to to shoot themselves in the foot that one throw by max duggan like i think on tcu's first drive where zach evans is wide open and max duggan just plants it right in the dirt six feet away from him that there were a lot of holes and there, there were times where it felt like tcu stopped itself instead of the texas defense sort of bowing up and making the stop i definitely am with you on that one because it's the defense was a little bit hard for me to judge because i feel like they played well at times um and you know limiting a conference opponent to 27 with seven coming in not garbage time but you know into the game uh desperation drive you can't be too upset about the final like point total there but you are right that they really shot themselves in the foot a bunch um, and that's also part of the thing that's difficult to just judge about our performance as a whole is sure we only beat TCU by five, but we were, you know, a fourth and one uh, and a couple like offsides penalties away from it being like a 50 to 20 blowout. And then you could also say that if TCU takes care of the ball on those couple of plays that, you know, we lose the game. So who who really knows how all that plays in? It's we came away with the win and I think that both teams look sloppy, but our sloppiness was often like causing us to take field goals instead of touchdowns, whereas their sloppiness was actually turning the ball over. So on a day where, you know, going into Fort Worth is, is tough. You mentioned it earlier, not winning there since 2013. Um, sometimes just being less sloppy is an advantage. Yeah. And again, to steal something from Dan and Ty over at the solid verbal, which I'm going to keep shouting them out occasionally because off pod, that's, the, the college football podcast I listen to more than any other one. Uh, but they always say, win your clunkers. This was a clunker, especially for the Texas offense. This was not the high-flying offense we'd seen in the past couple weeks. So win your clunkers, get through those mistakes, and, and just keep winning. In, in the spot that we were in, sort of with the look ahead to OU, in a stadium we hadn't won in in nearly a decade, and several other things that can, can be a distraction – I mean, the the end result is you just win the game. It can be sloppy. I will be much happier with ugly wins than beautiful losses. So there you go. I'm I'm glad to win. That's the end. And I'll it. tell you this: the players uh, did not enjoy it any less because it was sloppy. Uh, like after the game, like you know, there's been clips of Coburn running out the flag, but they all were like super pumped, getting over to like where the Texas fans were in the stadium and. You know, Coburn, Coburn had like this massive smile on his face to Sean Jamison too. Uh, so I think that they knew that it was tough and um, they're going to come out with, you know, just a sense of, I don't know if it's pride or happiness, whatever you want to call it, but some sort of satisfaction coming out of the game. Um, 
and then I'm sure that Sark is going to point out all the things <laughs> that need to be corrected heading into Oklahoma because there certainly are plenty of them. Yeah, and I guess the one area that I think was most surprising was the uh, the return from TCU to open the game really stood out. Maybe not alarming, but concerning enough that it happened at all. But so far to this point, is shown to be an outlier was that, that kickoff return from a special teams unit that I think we'd all agree has been vastly improved thanks to Jeff Banks. I think I have no doubt that Jeff Banks chewed some people out and made the corrections, figured out where the problems were on that. So I don't anticipate that popping up further through the year, but definitely not a not a positive way to start the game. As a fan, it's something I'm not going to lose any sleep over because, like you're saying, it's an outlier. Our special teams unit has been nailed so far. Dicker went 4-4, kind of correcting some of his pre like early season accuracy problems there. Um, and on the kick return, actually, I'll give a shout-out to, to Keelan Robinson for that chase-down tackle because he saved – well, they ended up getting a touchdown anyways. But, you know, make him work for it a little bit um, and showing off some of those jets just hunting down Spielman from, like, an angle. Uh, so kind of redeeming himself for the offsides he had the week prior, um, which was a pretty big mistake. I hate people that have just been like, oh, well – we had another punt block, but it got called back. Or, oh, well, Keelan blocked another one, but he was a little bit offsides. Like, no, he didn't block a punt. He lined up offsides and cost us a five-yard penalty that turned into a touchdown. Like, <laughs> like the game of football is kind of black and white when it comes to these rules. Um, so, sorry, that's just kind of a... Except for targeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Kind of a pet peeve <laughs> that got triggered there a little bit. Um, and speaking of Keelan, and we've talked about Bijan, like, I hope Keelan can get some more run to help lower Bijan's workload. I think he's a guy that you want, you know, you don't want him to start, but the first couple plays of a drive where you're on your own half of the field, like, yeah, get him out there just because, you know, he's good. And he's the guy that actually has the speed to take a run from our own 25 all the way to a touchdown. Uh, Bijan probably doesn't have that, uh, you know, maybe, but it it's certainly not the same as Keelan. And, um, so, I don't know. That's where I would like to see him carve out a little bit more of a role in the offense, but that's kind of nitpicking there. So my, my personal conspiracy theory for that is that Sark has been sort of intentionally holding back that game breaking ability that Keelan Robinson has. He's we've seen him in garbage time. We only really saw him get like two looks. He got one sort of sweep handoff and the one drop, not drop pass, but the one that he caught and stumbled. I, I think we just didn't show a lot of what, keelan is capable of and i'm thinking and maybe it's going to be a hot take for this week i'm thinking this is the one where keelan robinson goes off you think like you've seen you've seen one robinson oklahoma you're about to meet the second one and you're not gonna like him much more. the other stepbrother uh, is coming for you you I'm, I'm a fan i'm hoping you're right maybe we can have another was it rice we ran for like 400 yeah it was it was rice maybe we can put up another mm-hmm. rice-esque stat line here um although Oklahoma's run defense is very good, so I'm not super hopeful on that front. We'll we'll find ways to get Keelan to be a game-breaking player, I'm sure. I, I have faith that Sark has some tricks up his sleeve for this game. So uh, w- with that, let's just straight-up transition into Oklahoma. Uh, the first note that I have about Oklahoma is uh, just fuck them. Yeah, I think that's a valid point you bring up there, Josh. Um, uh, this has been the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast. Thank you. That's our preview of Oklahoma. Yeah. There you go. I, I mean, I, I kind of part of me wants to elaborate on it, but there's really nothing else to be said. Um, yeah. But I guess if we're going to elaborate, if we have to, 
We, Someone, gun to yeah, our yeah. head. We'll, we'll if talk we have about to. it more, I guess we're I guess. only half an hour in here. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, let's. we can start off with Spencer Rattler. And you know what, Josh? I think that the floor is yours for Spencer Rattler. I mean, I was in multi, I, at least one. I, I distinctly remember one. But there have been a few off-season episodes. You got to take the victory lap about your prediction, the, the offensive line, and your, your hot take this week. This one, I don't even think I presented as a hot take. I just said Spencer Rattler was not as good as all the hype he was getting this offseason. And boy, has that like paid off for me really well. Um, and I know what I'm tempting by bringing this up right now. But the, the fact of the matter is, this guy was the Heisman favorite coming into the year. And he has not looked like anywhere close to the player that people expected coming into this year. He has been downright bad at times, making horrible decisions with the ball being gun shy in the pocket not being particularly mobile except on like the designed runs that Lincoln Riley has called a little bit more of he has looked much more like the quarterback that got benched against Texas than the quarterback that played in the games following Texas last year yeah he is not doing great I've I've watched a decent amount of Oklahoma last night I went through and uh, tried to pull different you know different quarters from different games and he doesn't like to me he's not terrible like he's certainly not Zach Calzada and he he shows the arm and will have like great throws but he just seems almost unfocused so I I don't really know what's going on with him but yeah I wanted to give you your opportunity because you definitely said it over the offseason and I thought he was going to be much better than he is and you know that's why the the Heisman talk around this game is can Bijan solidify himself as uh, Heisman hopeful and can Rattler claw his way back into the discussion because if he doesn't bring it this week he's pretty much completely fallen out of that um for the year probably I mean we're halfway through and like he's been unimpressive yeah don't tell me that we're halfway through it feels like it's only just begun it was a long off season to get we're here. halfway through the regular season once it. you account for the big 12 championship game and the semifinals and then the national championship we have a lot more football left to be played but yeah so so I'll, I'll say that if we're gonna look at it positively and then i think that rattler has to be his performance is at least in some way tied to the offense that's around him right because he doesn't have like baker mayfield's last year they averaged like eight yards a carry as a team or something absurd like that or maybe it was like nine yards per play and six yards a carry but yeah it doesn't have that massive mauling dominant offensive line doesn't have the wide doesn't have a cd lamb or hollywood brown and the running backs uh have what's his name brooks candy brooks he's good he's really good but they also only have two scholarship running backs so it's kind of a not a collapse of the ou offense but just the offense as a whole is not where it was previously yeah i i think that's that's the thing that bothers the ou fan base more than anything else lately is not that they are, are playing exceptionally poorly but rather they aren't playing like Lincoln Riley's offenses of the past four or five years where it's 45 points a game easy and 38 of those are by halftime and you're really just coasting the rest of the game it it hasn't been easy they've had to work a lot harder on offense than they have in the past um, like you said O-line not nearly as as strong as it has been in the past few years wide receivers and running backs I think they've got a lot of talent there but it just doesn't feel like they have that game-breaking terrifying threat like Marvin Mims is good Mario Williams looks good but they just don't look scary at least not yet yeah they are 
I think that's like you're saying they're good, and I think that's the best way to put it. Is they're just they're good. They're not like I think Mario Williams' speed is always a little bit scary. And the biggest difference I would say between their guys and ours is just that theirs are more consistent. You know, like Marvin Mims is going to be consistently good, like game to game. Whereas at this point, our top two guys are Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington, and they both had bad games. Like I don't think that we can say for sure that they aren't going to drop a pass in the next game. You know, they're certainly not expected to like be game breakers or anything for us. So it's it's just kind of a weird spot for OU to be in. And their offense still looks really good at times. Like West Virginia, they definitely started to get their groove back. They were up 37-17, to 17, I think, uh, in the fourth before West Virginia scored a touchdown and got a kick return touchdown. So, you know, that game may not have been as close as the final score looks. And the Oklahoma defense has certainly stepped up to, to close the gap um, to keep them afloat. But, you know, they're having to sit through some games unlike they did in the past. So I, I, I think that more or less sums up the Oklahoma offense is it's always dangerous, but does not appear to be quite as vicious as it has in the past on the defensive side. I mean, Alex Grinch continues to clear the low bar of better than Mark or better than Mike Stoops was early in Lincoln Riley's tenure. But uh, this year, the, the defense, like you said, the run defense is solid. Like OU's defensive line is legit. I fear for Christian Jones's like immortal soul. I fear for Casey Thompson's mortal soul because he has Christian Jones trying to block Nick Benito. So that's not fun. But I I think the defensive line is very good for Oklahoma. But honestly, behind that, I I don't see a lot to be scared of or a lot of reason to think that we won't be able to move the ball at all. I I think we're going to look significantly better than we have the past couple of years under Herman where it seemed like we showed up and just forgot how to – play offense at all i think there's enough gaps uh behind the defensive line for oklahoma that there should be plenty of intermediate and short passing game available to casey thompson uh, whether that's swing passes to Bijan, swings to keelan robinson uh those little drags and slants to worthy and whittington i don't expect a ton of deep balls mostly because of Nick Benito going up against Christian Jones. That scares me. We can't do that reliably as it is. And we're going to go up against the best, the best pass rusher in the Big 12 this week. So, yeah, reason to be scared of that defensive line, but I don't think reason enough to be concerned that we won't be able to operate at all. So I should, should I rant here for a second, Josh, about Herman? Go ahead. Okay, because it, it does support the larger point here. But the thing that was so frustrating about the last two OU games and the reason that those are kind of the ones that broke me um, on many levels is that you know Herman just never adjusted and so there was a talent infusion on OU's defense and a coaching improvement um, and Herman was figured out and never adjusted for it so not only did the Oklahoma players come out and play better than they did in 2017-2018 on defense but they also knew what was coming and they were also more physical so they just straight up beat us and the only way that Herman was going to win those battles was by being the more physical team and we just weren't either year um and so this year is less about just that straight up physical battle uh because you know what you're getting at Sark has a lot more that he's going to incorporate uh than Herman did um and so I I am excited about the offense I do think I'm actually expecting us to take some shots downfield um I'm still terrified of Nick Benito uh, and I think that a lot of it we might see coming off of play action and max protect. 
uh, Sark does have um, a lot of max protect stuff that he will run. So, you know, we might come out in 12 personnel and then only have like two wide receivers and a tight end run a route running routes. Um, Cause I think that as strong as OU's defensive line is their cornerbacks can be vulnerable in coverage. Uh, they've given up several big plays to different opponents. It's not like just Nebraska has some big plays or just West Virginia did. Um, so I think that that's something that we want to take our shots even though we have yet to connect on them uh, this year, which, I mean, part of that's on Casey, part of that's on the wide receivers. We don't have to get too into that. I think that they're there for the taking. Um, and so, you know, we at least got to shoot our shot on them. Yeah. I mean, K-State, without the level of weaponry and athleticism that Texas has, Deuce Vaughn was able to to make some, make some hay against Oklahoma just last week. K-State scored 31 points against this Oklahoma defense. They are, like, for as much as I respect Chris Kleeman and as much as I respect what he's doing at K-State, the fact of the matter is they aren't a team that's built to score a ton of points and do it quickly. For them to hang 31 on Oklahoma, despite the defensive line that Oklahoma has, means that there, there's going to be space for Texas. And I believe we've got the players in Ro- the Robinsons, in Worthy, in Whittington, that we're going to be able to take advantage of that. So... I'm never not looking forward to this game. I'm always excited about this game. I'm always cautiously optimistic every time we go into this game, for better or worse. But I, I think there's going to be plenty of room for the defense. It's I, I think this game is won and lost based on how the Texas defense plays against the wide receivers for Oklahoma. That's really where my where I think the game will be won and lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know I'm pretty similar. I think that it's going to come down to which team is able to hit on their deep shots. Because uh, you know Rattler's been inconsistent throwing down the field, Casey's been not good throwing down the field. Our wide receivers haven't been good deep, uh, so I think that that's going to kind of be the story of the game. And you know, to be fair to OU, they did one of the touchdowns for K State was on uh, the kick return at the end of the game once the game was pretty much over. And Kleiman played a very high variance game uh, against OU in that he went for it on fourth down five times. Uh, they converted four of those, and the one they missed was a fourth and eighteen, <laughs> which they actually almost they almost got that one too, because uh, the Billy Bowman actually uh, kind of got beat not not got beat, but like Thompson had plenty of time to sit there, and then eventually the guy got loose from Bowman, uh, but it was like one of those things where the ball hit the ground, so on a replay they overturned it, and really Skyler Thompson had a great game against OU, like his stats were really good, uh, Deuce Vaughn. He made OU defenders look silly sometimes, but I think he came out to like 3.8 per carry or something like that. So I'm expecting our offensive line to be a little bit better than K-State's, and I think Bijan is better than Deuce Vaughn. But ultimately, I think shots are going to be there. If we connect, we're in good shape. If we don't, then we got to hope that OU doesn't either. And that's kind of going to be the the story of the game for me because uh, otherwise both teams are solid, if not also somewhat unspectacular. Um, in most other phases of the game. All right. So let, let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it for predictions, hot takes. Uh, I think I sort of already covered my hot take, sort of hinted at what I was feeling. Uh, Keelan Robinson, I'm going to say 125 all-purpose yards and two scores in this game. We we unleash we unleash wow. the beast on this one. That's what I'm going wow. with. Wow. It's the, it's the two scores that does it for me. That's what – I mean, I, I thought it was going to be – 125 yards and a touchdown that was going to be hot but that two scores is scalding um like he is he is the secret weapon that we have only hinted at 
They they don't know what's coming. He is they're the, not the ready. Kraken. We're gonna unleash the Kraken. We're, exactly. Hundred <laughs> percent. What's gonna happen? Uh, um. Okay. Well, then my hot take. Okay. So let's do your predictions. Then I'll have a hot take. Let's do it that way. Okay. Do your prediction then. Okay. So my prediction, and the main reason that this is my final prediction is because just kind of as a rule. I'm always going to pick Texas going up against OU. Yeah, so give me something like 37 to 34, something like that, somewhere in that in that range. Uh, so both offenses, you know, get it done, but have a couple sloppy plays, maybe some penalties or turnovers that kill a couple drives, but otherwise are able to mostly move the ball and translate it pretty well to the scoreboard. Um, but, you know, defenses also have a clutch stop here and there, and then the offenses aren't able to get every drive there, so – yeah 37 34 why not yeah i I like that i I think this is definitely a game where you see modern football happen where it feels at times like a shootout where it's not about a defense being smothering it's not going to be the georgia defense going up against decrepit ancient offenses it's for real like modern offense design um, and a modern interpretation of what defense is is you just need to make enough stops you don't need to smother them you're and you simply aren't going to be able to do that in this league the, the offenses are too good even the worst ones in this league are too good to get completely shut down so there are going to be times where this game feels like a straight up true red river shootout there's going to be times where it feels like the offenses can't be stopped at all there's going to be drives where the defenses handily win i think it's going to be very back and forth I don't expect to ever be comfortable. I expect to be nervous. I expect my hands to be bleeding from me chewing on my nails and everything else. But I, I like roughly the, the spot you were in. I'm going a going thirty eight thirty one Texas. And I, I agree with you. I don't care even if even if I thought in my heart of hearts that Texas was gonna get blown out, you will never hear me pick Oklahoma over Texas on a podcast here. Yeah. And you know, they could I think it'll be a fun game to watch, if not because whenever both of these offenses are in rhythm it's just it's just good football like fun football to watch okay and then back to the hot take and i'm still trying to come up with one here um you were stalling for time and you didn't know, even come up with something. i know um okay give me Oof. okay uh it's so much pressure okay uh uh okay anthony cook um okay oklahoma has one breakout wide receiver but then they don't have any other receivers over like 40 yards. So so what do you categorize as breakout? Like a guy who has more than 100 yards and then no one else over 40? Yeah, like 120 yards and a touchdown or something like that. Um, so so just give me, just in general, like only one Oklahoma receiver Blake breaks the 50-yard mark. Perfect. I like it. If I'm putting it, if I'm put, defining it technically. Because, you, you know, I think that generally our DBs are pretty good and can match up well, but we are going to give up some stuff underneath. Um, and I guess it depends a lot on tackling. So who knows? I'm kind of, the more I think through the less I believe in this take, but I already put it out there. So it, it, it is hot. It's a hot take for a reason. If we thought for sure it was going to happen, it would just be an opinion, not a hot take. This is true. This is true. That, that brings us to the end of this episode. I totally forgot to write the outro. I typically script my intro and outro. And I do have, okay. But, so I do have one more quick thing. Cause I was listening to, uh, or watching the video from fanatic perspective. Uh, shout out to those guys they're doing their like top five narratives around the game and i know that they mentioned a potential we want caleb chant 
if Spencer Rattler were to be struggling or throw an interception or something, and you know Texas is playing well, just listen for. It. I know that if I hear it, I'll join in. I think it's hilarious. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that we get to break that out uh, if the situation presents itself and that we can all rally behind that. One one hundred percent. That that will unify the entire stadium if that chant starts. I fully support doing that. I do not, for that matter, speaking of like co-chanting, we, we're not chanting SEC. Fuck any of you who think you're about to do that. Absolutely not. Do not do that. The rules are clear. You chant SEC when beating A&M and no other times. Fuck this SEC shit. That is the only time that I'm allowing an SEC chant. Not in this game at any point. There was, I will say there was, it wasn't a big one, but there was a small SEC chant that broke out the TCU game uh after i can't remember when it was somewhere in the fourth quarter and it was it was funny it was funny it wasn't like a serious thing it was just kind of like the the sarcastic sec times three uh it always it always starts sarcastically and then there's people who don't know it's sarcastic and thinks it think it's serious and then it just becomes poison that's that's fair and i do agree that i'm not doing an sec chant at ou i didn't join the sec chant at tcu but i did laugh because um, it was like it whatever moment that game would be considered like peak frog sadness. Um, but yeah, please no, not this weekend. Yeah. But hundred percent chant Caleb chant. We want Caleb with the Sooners fans. I will love that. That will be one of the highlights of my year. Um, but yeah, uh, I will be at the state fair. I'll be at the game. Are you going to be there, Noah? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I got my tickets and everything, so I was able to find them for an actual reasonable price. Um, so that was good. I haven't paid four hundred dollars for a ticket. So that- so same rules as every other game that we've been at. If you find us and do the secret handshake, we'll hook you up with some some secret some swag. Fire Steve Sarkeesian swag. We won't tell you what it is, but true fans will know what it is and they'll know what they need to do to get it. So. Uh, Shout out again to whoever it was, since they didn't name themselves, uh, called in with the voicemail on the hot take line. Make sure you call 512-677-4578. Also check out the Patreon that just started. Will Bazer started that for all of Hornscast. Uh, even if you don't want to support us, you can tell yourself that it's just supporting 4th and 5 or it's just supporting Pretend We're Football. Uh, donate to that Patreon. Even if you don't want to donate to the Patreon, we have a Discord now. Uh, that Discord address, I will remember to share it on Twitter at some point this week. You guys can jump in there, interact with me and Noah, interact with Will Bazer. We do. We started doing a uh, a film room where we're sort of going back and breaking down the the previous week's game. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, no one will take it seriously. I remember to show up about halfway into the third quarter and just make dumb comments the entire time. But I, I, I think it's been entertaining. I, I think it's helpful. Um, through multiple years of doing this now, I don't think I've really gotten any better or more analytical watching football. So it helps me feel a little bit better about things that I've seen and feel like I can make jokes and from a more educated place. So definitely join up with that. Uh, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at, at the FSS podcast. Um, what else do we have? Is there anything else to talk about Noah? I don't believe so. Um, we're wrapping up here. And it's 6.57. I think that means OU still sucks. And also, I think Brennan Thompson's about to commit. So uh, we better, yeah. better wrap this up so we can watch that. <laughs> yeah, well, 
then we will catch you all next week. See you next week. Welcome.